I fed Mama and Razzie Monday morning. Normally, Mama gobbles up her food. She's always had a good appetite. But she leaves half of her breakfast that day. When I take her back in the barn from the milking stand, she doesn't even want my slices of sweet potatoes. Very unlike her. Breakfast the next day was the same thing. I started to worry. I went down for their dinner with slices of apple in my pocket. Mama ate a little more feed. She did scarf down the apples. Afterwards, I was working with Clifton and our neighbor Mark on his sliding barn door. Mark's wife, Marcy, was feeding Mama handfuls of clover through the fence, and Mama was happily eating everything she could get. I think this problem is the feed itself. I've been buying feed from three different places, and this current feed is new. Okay, Mama, I'll get you a bag of sweet feed. No more trying new stuff. Hello, this is Ernie Johnson, founder and half-owner of Anashira. One of my listeners, Nancy, asked me why I jumped around in time so much with my stories. Why don't you just tell him sequentially? I get confused. Well, Nancy, when I sit and reflect on my life, my mind doesn't just start thinking at one point and then the next and then the next. So when I consider what stories I'm going to share with you, I just hit a couple of things in my life and think, okay, I'll talk about running with the bulls or gathering jojoba beans in the Sonoran Desert or whatever. That may not be the greatest explanation, but that's how it is. A couple of times I've said to myself, well, that's the last podcast. I don't have anything left that's interesting. But something always seems to pop up. So without further ado, let's get into this latest episode of Stories from Anashira. I'd left Spain, spent several months in Colombia, and ended up in Central California. My mission was to determine if I could grow and market Malaysian prawns successfully, if I could do it in Colombia. It didn't take long after I'd run into Stuart Weil to realize that I didn't have the finances or the time to do that. It had been really tempting to take Maria's mother up on her offer to buy the land on the coast of Colombia with that little river running through it. Heck, I could still be living there today, lying in a hammock, drinking a bottle of Aguila beer, but I'd probably be fat and lazy and stuck there. Yeah, I'm glad I decided not to do it. So I started working with Mike Butler. We were building a home outside of Fresno in the foothills in Auberry a pretty green area in the spring, bone dry much of the rest of the year. It was a site in a large grove of eucalyptus trees. Man, I love eucalyptus trees. I miss them out here. It was a hot day. We'd been working, doing the rough framing, hard work. It was a two-story house on the side of a hill. We were done for the day, sitting in the shade, drinking a beer, not Aguila, 
of course. We were talking about Colombia, the people, the economy, the food, of course, the violence. It was all strange for Mike. He was a pretty simple San Joaquin Valley guy, a very good home builder, but not much interested in world travel. So you didn't want to stay down there and work for your mother-in-law? Uh-uh. It would have been an easy life, he said. Yeah, in certain aspects. In others, not so much. I'll bet they make a lot of beautiful stuff down there. Yeah, for sure. Give me some examples. Well, they make things called ruanas out of wool. It's like a Mexican serape. You know, a hole in the middle, you put it over your head. Boy, it keeps you warm on a cold night. They make really cool bags, handbags for men and women. They call them mochilas. They make these hats. You might call them Panama hats. They call them aguadeño hats. Very fashionable if you like that sort of thing. Do they make anything that we could use in this business? Something unique? Well, I've seen beautiful chairs made there. A whole variety of leather products. Belts, shoes. What about something to use in houses other than furniture? You know, you make me think about a man I met in Barranquilla. He has a factory making mahogany doors. Tell me about it. Well... He sets hand-carved panels in these frames of each door. I recall he had a number of designs. I even have a brochure that he gave me, if you want to look at it. Would he be interested in exporting them to California? Yeah, he mentioned it to me when I was down there. So Mike got excited. The next day I took the brochure and we went through it, talked about what we could do with those doors. Man. They're gorgeous, said Mike. I bet we could sell them here to builders and others. Are you interested in starting a business with me? We could make it simple. Be co-owners. You arrange the importing and I'll do the selling. What do you think? Can you get a hold of Willie and see what he needs? So I got a hold of Willie and we went forward. Mike and I hammered on two-by-fours and two-by-sixes and two-by-eights every day. And in my free time, I arranged to get 24 of those doors from Colombia by ship through the Panama Canal and up to Long Beach, where they could pass customs and then be loaded onto a truck and sent up into the Central Valley. Have you ever filled out a customs declaration for something bulky, to be shipped from Colombia to the States during a time when cocaine smuggling was on the rise? I can assure you, it's not an enjoyable way to spend your time. We rented some space downtown near the railroad tracks in an old brick building that long ago had been the ice factory for the Fresno area. We built stands to hold up the doors, to hold them in an upright position so they wouldn't warp. In what free time I had, I continued with my studies of the jojoba plant. That was all very exciting. I'd set up a nursery to grow seedlings in the house we rented from my dad. It had been his parents' house. The dining room floor was covered with 
hundreds of quart milk cartons. The jojoba seeds were difficult to germinate. They needed warmth. That's why I had them inside Grandma's dining room. There was a series of fluorescent lamps strung from the ceiling to provide light for the young plants. After germinating, they sent off a long taproot quickly, thus the deep soil in the milk cartons. So my life was divided in three main segments. Daytime was spent being a carpenter, building this house in the eucalyptus grove. Evenings were spent organizing our new company, which we named Calco Enterprises. We thought that a very clever name. Cal for California, Co for Colombia, and Enterprises because we thought it sounded like a successful business. Yeah, Enterprises. So I grabbed as much time as I could to study the jojoba plants, to plant pilot projects in various locations in the valley. I took a couple weeks and headed down to the Sonoran Desert outside of Tucson to study the plants and harvest beans. I told you about that expedition earlier. So after a couple of months, our shipment of doors arrives in Long Beach. Mike had asked before we sent Willie the money, what if he keeps the money and screws us? That's not going to happen. He's a friend of my father-in-law. He didn't stiff him. He won't stiff us. Later, Mike asks, what if he hollows out some of the doors and fills them with cocaine? Mike, he's not a criminal. He's a successful businessman. He's not going to try to smuggle any dope. Even if he wanted to, there's not enough room. Not enough room in those doors to make it worthwhile. He wants us to be successful. And we can't be successful if we're in prison. Yeah, I suppose you're right. But Mike put that negative thought in my head and got me thinking about it. So our shipment hit support of Long Beach. And our doors hit customs. You know what? They cleared. No problem. A couple of days later, they arrive at our warehouse. Boy, they are beautiful. Striking color tones. The wood was unfinished. We had six or seven different designs. So Mike and I each pick out a door, take them to our homes, cut them in length, install hardware, and apply a finish. I put on several coats of marine varnish. I always loved the way it brought out the depth of wood. It took a few days to do this, then we mounted the doors. They were gorgeous, elegant, and unique. No other doors similar west of the Mississippi River. Well, probably not even east of it. Willie had promised me that if we hit a certain sales volume, not unreasonable, he'd give us exclusive representation for the western U.S. Well, the doors sat patiently in the warehouse. I waited for Mike to start delivering sales. That didn't happen. Mike, what's with sales? Do we have them priced too high? I knew we didn't. You couldn't find doors like this anywhere near that price. They're coming, he replied. It's just a little slow now. We have to be patient. Oh, yeah. I had not resigned myself to be a carpenter and construction guy. I continued to look in the newspaper every day. There wasn't much in there, but I sent out a few resumes. Every now and then I'd have an interview. There wasn't a single position that was right for me, or close. 
It was late August, high summer. The days were hot and dry. There was essentially no humidity in this part of California. The house we lived in faced the west and got full sun every afternoon and evening, hitting the front door. One evening, the sun is still out. I'm sitting in the living room looking at this new spectacular door, and I notice a small ray of light shining through it. What the heck? I go up and look closely. It appears that a crack has opened up between one of the panels in the frame. I call Mike, tell him to come over and take a look. He gets there and is as discouraged as I am. How can this be, he asks. You said all of these were kiln-dried before manufacture. Yeah, I was guaranteed it was. It says so in the bill of sale. This may just be an aberration, I said. Or it may be that even though the wood is kiln-dried, that the difference between the levels of humidity between Barranquilla and here are so great that the doors dry out even more. We decided to wait and see. Our worst fears came true. My door and Mike's, too, cracked open in several places as the wood aged in this dry environment. We realized we couldn't sell any of those doors for use in the valley. We couldn't even have anyone come and look at our doors to see how elegant they looked. They didn't look elegant anymore. You know, it turned out well, thank God, that Mike was a lousy salesman. We didn't have a lot of upset customers yelling at us and threatening to sue us. So that was the end of Calco Enterprises. Our doors could only be used in interiors, and we ended up taking a bath on the whole deal. But Mike was pretty good about it. We chalked it up as a lesson of life, and we remained friends and continued to work together. And then my life took a dramatic turn. It was fall. I'd been back a couple months from my trip to the Sonoran Desert. I was energetically engaged in organizing the San Joaquin Valley Jojoba Growers Association. And I came home one night and Maria said, Ernie, sit down. I sat down. Out of the blue, I think I'm pregnant. You what? Yeah, I think I'm pregnant. You know. We'd never planned on this, never talked about it. Oh boy. Those of you who've been surprised by news like this know what it means. Pretty much all of my life, I'd been worried about myself, my job, my life. Even after getting married, Maria was tough and could take care of herself. All of a sudden, I had to plan for someone else. Someone who would be 100% dependent on me. I did some real soul searching. I came to realize that this chaotic quest to grow jojoba was not going to cut it. I needed to get serious. And now I needed to get a real job. I put 100% effort into those hated one ads. I interviewed for positions I'd hate. And I knew it. And none that I thought I'd like. It was late in October when I responded to an ad posted by the Hertz Corporation looking for a management trainee at the Fresno Air Terminal. I sent out a cover letter with my resume 
to the zone office in Millbrae, California. I didn't expect much. And I was really surprised to get a call about a week later. A guy from their HR department wanted to meet me at Hertz's office in the Fresno airport for an interview. Was I interested? Yeah. Told him it sounded great. I'd be there. And I did some homework. Of course, there was no internet in those days. But I found out what I could. I learned that they were owned by RCA, a huge corporation in those days. And I knew Hertz was number one in rent-a-car, as their ads stated again and again. I knew that O.J. Simpson starred in their TV ads running through airports. I went out to the airport early in the morning one Monday when all the flights arrived. I saw that Hertz had about half of the customers of the four car rental companies on the airport. I saw Hertz customers standing in line while everyone else was gone. I waited around and walked up to the counter when it was empty. A young woman came up. Her name badge said Connie. Excuse me, Connie, have you got a moment? Yeah, but I'm busy. Can you tell me what it's like to work here? Are you kidding me? Do you work for Hertz? No, I don't. I have nothing to do with them. I promise you. I'm just curious. Honestly, it's a crappy job. Half of the employees don't know what they're doing, and the other half doesn't care. And the management stinks. I was shocked. This girl had no idea who I was. And that painted the company in a very poor light. Sorry to hear that. You must be having a bad day. Pretty much every day is a bad day around here, she said, and turned around and walked off. I found out later she was the lead rental agent. I walked out to the ready line where their clean cars were parked, ready for customers. Their cars were almost all new, mostly Fords, some Toyotas, a few Nissans. The competition had plenty of cars in their lines. The Hertz line was pretty sparse. I looked over the fence into their compound. Plenty of cars in there. There seemed to be three men working. Well, not working hard. They had uniforms on, but their shirts were untucked, mostly unbuttoned. They had long hair and not stylish, but greasy looking. I went home realizing quickly that this was not a poster child operation for Hertz. I went into the interview the next day with my eyes open. I went into the Hertz office looking for a guy named Jim Gilly. He asked a little bit about me. I was honest. I said I had no experience in car rental or the business world, really. I'm smart and I'm a quick learner. I work hard and I get results. What are you looking for exactly? Jim was honest with me. This place is in trouble. It's failed its last two internal audits. Customer service is bad. The service agents and rental agents are teamsters, and they sometimes seem to run the place. Market share is slipping. He said the city manager was experienced and willing and worked hard he was just overwhelmed. We need to prop him up to turn this place around, he said. Do you think you could do it? I was straight with him. Jim, I can come and work like a dog, but I want to be measured for my contributions. 
I also don't want to be in Fresno forever. And I don't want to run this place. If we're successful here, I want to be promoted to a bigger store with bigger challenges. Do you understand? He looked me in the eye. Yes, I understand. He introduced me to Dan, the city manager, and we sat down. Dan was a nice enough guy. He realized he had problems. I need someone to help me in the office. Also to help me at the counter in peak periods. Also to cover empty shifts in the garage. Dan, I I can do all of that. But I'm not looking for a job that will be a glorified rental agent or service agent. If I get offered this job and, and accept it, I want us to pass our audits with flying colors. I want, to, I want to improve our market share. I want it to be profitable, and I want customer service to improve. If you want me to help you do these things, I'm your man. I talked with Jim again on my way out. I told him, you know, I spent a couple of hours here the other morning. Service was lousy, and the, the employees didn't seem any better, Jim. Hey, I didn't figure I'd get the job. They needed somebody with more experience than I had. But what the hell? When will I hear from you? Soon. I hope so. You need someone here today. Will you let me know if you don't select me? Please don't leave me hanging. I promise you, I'll call you either way. I went back to building homes and continued on my jojoba studies. To my surprise, I got a call a week later from Jim. Ernest. We want to offer you the job. He told me the salary. Good, very good. And the benefits, which included the use of a car. A car? Yes, in operations, you need to know every vehicle inside and out. You have a car for your personal use. We'd like you to start the Monday after Thanksgiving. Do you need to think about it? Yeah. Okay, I thought about it. The answer is yes, I'm your man. That's great, Ernest. He was excited, I could tell. So now I was earnest, no more Ernie. I resigned from my work with Mike, disengaged myself from my involvement in the jojoba industry, and I started work that Monday. It was every bit as difficult a series of problems as I'd imagined. I worked hard, I paid attention, and then I worked harder, and I learned a lot. The best thing was, at the end of the first day, Dan said, So what car do you want to drive? What am I supposed to drive? Why? Anything you want except luxury cars. You want an LTD? A T-Bird? Here, this one's brand new. Just came off the truck. A Thunderbird? Brand new? I'd never driven a brand new car in my life, much less a Thunderbird. You bet. Oh, and make sure it's filled with gas before you leave. And when you go on vacation... Call the station manager of the Hertz locations on the way. They'll fill your car up for you. Just like that? Free gas? Yep. No maintenance. Free insurance. Now that sounded too good to be true. I realized I had a mountain of work in front of me. But I didn't have to worry so much about having a child on the way in a few months. At least I had a job, a paycheck coming in, and maybe a future in front of me. I want to thank Anashira for sponsoring my podcast series. It's an exciting time of the year for us here at Anashira. We're ramping up production for the holiday season. And the more soap I make, the better the house smells. 
Dawn is flying up to Wisconsin this week to celebrate her mother's birthday. She goes up every year. I gave her a weather forecast this morning as she was packing. Thursday snow and down to 23 degrees and so on. She takes a lot of soap with her so she can save shipping costs for friends and family. They're very practical, those people from Wisconsin. They plan in advance for the holidays. Not like I am. Many a year on Christmas Eve, I've been walking the aisles of department stores looking for presents. So, go online to anashira.com and get ready for Thanksgiving and Christmas. Enter discount code FALLSTORIES17. That's FALLSTORIES17 altogether. It will get you a 17% discount. Hey, who doesn't want to save 17%? You know, I've told you about my dad. I'd told him about the job I was going to have. I told him I'd get a car to drive. He said, you get a car? Yes. To drive anywhere you want? Yes. And gas? That's what they say. Well, I'll believe it when I see it. They probably give you some old Datsun B210 from the shop. Well, maybe. We'll see. So I left work in that brand new cherry red Thunderbird. I drove out to Fig Garden to the old house. Drove in the driveway. Honk the horn. My dad walks out. You driving that? Yeah. You allowed to drive that? Yeah, my boss told me to. You drive that all the time? No, Pop. I take a different car every day. He sat inside and smelled the new car smell. Leaned over to make sure the tank was full. Well, I'll be a real job, he said. That was it. That was enough. I think I came up a little in his eyes. Folks, I thank you so much for listening. Be around in two weeks for my next episode of Stories from Anashira.